the Olympic Sides, the, uh, the podcast about Olympic history. I'm your host, Bridget Natalie, and with me are my delightful co-hosts. I'm Sarah. I'm recurring guest, Frank Costello. <laughs> and we're uh, gonna, I think we're actually going to be able to wrap up in this episode uh, the 1904 St. Louis Olympics. If every other sport has fewer competitors than medals, this would go by real quick. Yeah, right. Or was that just boxing? Uh, no, it wasn't just boxing. Uh, it's just the oh. track and field stuff's really long uh, because of the marathon, mostly. Although there's some other stuff. <laughs> Marathons tend to be There's a metaphor long. in there somewhere. Yes, yeah, somewhere. I'm not clever enough to find it. All right. So we're going to, but we're going to go through all the rest of the stuff before we get there. Um, all the rest. There aren't that many. Because, like, again, there weren't that many competitors. There was only 12 countries competing. Did they reduce the number of events to accommodate? Uh, no, these are just the one. Mm. No, because, uh, remember, um, James Sullivan had an Olympic event every day, or something he called an Olympic event every day. Yeah, but you then want to describe several, what I'm going to charitably call, like, high school intramural yeah, matches. Yeah. So <laughs> What we're going through are the ones that the IOC recognizes now as Olympic events at these Olympics. Which is how we did it with Paris, too. But Paris was, like, the opposite problem because they didn't call anything Olympic. Um, so, anyway. So, cycling. Uh, there was no velodrome at the 1904 Olympic Games, which is that stadium where they do the cycling with all the little ridges for the bikes. Uh, the cycling events were instead held outdoors on a track on the track at Francis Field. It was described as, quote, a track of cinders, flat as a billiard table, very dry and dusty. Sounds great. Ideal biking yeah. conditions. Yeah, I can't wait to want to ride. Uh, the events were very sparsely attended. The high water mark for the crowd was 125 people on the first day of competition, which apparently dropped off considerably the second and third days. Keep in mind, cycling was very popular at this point, too. Cycling is very popular now. Yeah, but There's I mean, never been a time when cycling's not been popular. That's true. I mean, like, Tour de France and yeah. all that. Yeah. This was, like, I mean, this was a very high point of, like, they were making up different events for cycling because it was so popular. Um, Most of those events required some kind of non-flat dusty terrain yeah. to use. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that they showed up the first day, everything was a dusty nightmare, and they were like, well, we're going to find something else to do tomorrow. There's probably yeah. other better cycling very close Let's by. Let's go <laughs> check out those baby incubators. I yeah. hear they're amazing. And then they did not come back. Yeah. Um, again, all competitors were American. However, at least for this event, there were some Germans who entered to compete, even if they didn't actually end up competing. The same thing with like the Filipinos, I think, in archery. Um, there were seven events, and one man won medals in five of them. Uh, Marcus Hurley. He won gold in the one-quarter mile, one-third mile, one-half mile, and one-mile races, and bronze in the two-mile race. Sounds like Blake doing something weird. All right. Um, stop selecting things. It keeps, <laughs> sorry, my tablet keeps selecting things for some reason. All right. Final fix it in post. Uh, and uh, in the one mile and bronze in the two mile race, Hurley would go also go on to win the world amateur sprint championship later that year, but then retire from cycling to focus on basketball. He played for Columbia University, was an all American player and one of the greatest of his era. The two other two cyclists who gave him a run for his money were Burton Downing and Teddy Billington. Downing also retired from cycling after the 1904 Olympics and later became a renowned architect. The only thing known about Billington was that his bike was never delivered to St. Louis, and he had to compete using a borrowed bicycle. <laughs> Hurley probably would have won gold in the two-mile race if it weren't for the fact that there were so many cyclists on the track that he couldn't maneuver effectively. In fact, his bike slipped on the home stretch, which is what allowed Burton Downing and Oscar Gerke to pass him. 
The five-mile race, the only one Hurley entered but didn't medal in at all, was spoiled by a big crash, courtesy of J. Nash McCree, who was nicknamed Crash McCree because... <laughs> that's... Did he have that nickname coming into the event, or is yes. it from this? Okay. I see. <laughs> see, they that's, that's the point where you, you're saying, okay, son, maybe today you're going to give give this Olympic no. event a, a miss. No. If you are named Crash McCree and you can still qualify for Olympic sports, you take that opportunity. He sounds like a cartoon villain. <laughs> Doesn't everyone in this event? <laughs> that's fair. That's, everyone is a cartoon villain. Okay, let's 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 do some uh, some uh, character rehab on Crash McCree. He had, <laughs> his nickname was because of his bad habit of crashing. Off to the start. Yeah. However, he was not a violent man. He did not cause wrecks on purpose. He was. <laughs> he's more of a hapless than a villain. Well, I, I wasn't assuming he was causing them on purpose, but you was did, that a thing? You did call him a cartoon villain. I just said he sounded like a cartoon villain. I was picturing him with a mustache. <laughs> and they the all had mustaches. Uh. They were all cartoon villains. We've, we've settled this. It's uh, he was described as somebody who, quote, rides all over the track and was dangerous for that reason. Was that allowed or were there an attempt at lanes during I, the event? At I think that was like a giant cinder track. I don't know if they okay. had lanes. He was trying his best. <laughs> I, I changed my mind. I'm on his side. <laughs> In this race, when Crash McCree <laughs> crashed in the second... <laughs> Damn it! We'll nope, take it again from the top. We'll we'll see we'll this coming. Coming. I can't get the giggles. Right. Crashed in the second to last lap. He took out all the best cyclists in the race. Hurley, Downing, Billington, and Oscar Drickey. The reason was because all four of them were holding back, conserving energy for that last lap. Charles Schley had been in last place, as was his strategy, and managed to avoid the crash and sprint so hard that he won the gold. Crash McCree, human blue shell. <laughs> this is a strategy that would be repeated decades later by an Australian speed skater to great success. I'm really expecting you to call this back. Like, you're going to call back the Crash McCurry when we get to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll yeah write it down. Put a pin in it. I can't remember what you... But this that didn't happen until, like, 2010 or something. Like, yeah. it's a long time. Yeah. You're going to get there, and you're going to be like, remember <laughs> Crash McCree, kids? <laughs> He's back. <laughs> the ghost of Crash McCree. <laughs> he actually haunts all Olympic races now, and he's the cause of all crashes. All right. So, <clears throat> that's, this that's is, just a fact. This is the first crash in an Olympic race that we've talked about. So, therefore, the first one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his his nickname was literally Crash because he did it so much. I mean, that, yes. It's his legacy. Uh-huh. It's his skill. Yes. It's it's his sport. Uh-huh. And he, to this day, is haunting the Olympics. Fact. Right. As an aside, the winning time is listed in the results down to the tenth of a second. But every place after that is listed in terms of how far behind the right, how far behind the rider was from the one ahead of them. For example, in the one mile race, Marcus Hurley won at two minute. Yeah, is that one mile? Yeah, two minutes, forty one point six seconds. Burton Downing came in second at five lengths behind, and Teddy Billington in third at four inches behind Downing. Not, not time behind them that they crossed the finish line. Yeah. Distance behind them at the moment the winner crossed the finish and line. And I think it was because of how they were actually able to record these things was they had like the little stopwatch mm-hmm. that they could stop when one person crossed the finish line right. and then they took a photo. 
Ah, and ah. they calculated from there. But Does that also mean that the silver medal goes not to the person who finished second, but to the person who was closest to the first person when that person finished? Isn't that what second is? No. Uh, not like side by side closest. It's, you can see on the photo, like who's... Right, but if the first person finishes and the next two behind them are very, like, one is slightly ahead, you don't know that that person's going to finish ahead of the third person. They oh, could I change places saying, yeah. before they both cross the well, line. Well, I guess, I mean, they might take more than one photo. It's, mm. I don't know. So, anyway. The system seems suspect. Well, they did, they're doing the best they could. Um, I also don't think <clears> so <throat> that that's true. All right. Anyway, the last race was the 25-mile race, which Hurley didn't even bother to compete in, and just as well because it sounds like it was a nightmare. Out of the ten who finished the race, or who started the race, only four managed to finish. The rest were all taken out by falls or tire punctures. Charles Schlieve dropped out after two miles due to a puncture. Teddy Billington after three miles for the same reason. One of Oscar Gerke's tires exploded in the tenth mile. He got on another bike and kept going until the seventeenth mile when one of his tires got punctured and he withdrew. Out of the four who actually finished, Burton Downing snagged gold, A.F. Andrews silver, and George Wiley bronze. Samuel LaVoice came in fourth. Wiley got a special award for having led 35 laps of the race. Hmm. So it wasn't a 25-mile, like, cross-country race. It was laps around this horrible track. And now I have to wonder if the same point on the track was puncturing everyone's bike tire <laughs> I don't different know. laps. I don't know. All right. Someone set a trap. I think two of the cinder blocks just might not have been lined Perhaps up. it was crashed, but pretty... <laughs> <laughs> he has a little theme music. You hear like a harpsichord riff, and then he comes out like creeping calliope, on. Yeah. A calliope. Well, he creeps onto the field and messes some things about. This is where we in post drop a calliope track <laughs> into the audience. <laughs> Crash McCree's theme song. All right, diving. Diving. We have one of the rare occasions in these games where non-Americans actually competed. Of the five men who entered the competition, two were German. Silver medalist George Hoffman and Alfred Braunschweiger. Braunschweiger tied for third with an American, Frank Kehoe. The Germans protested, as they thought that Braunschweiger had easily outperformed Kehoe. And they were right in that he had done fancier dives, but both Braunschweiger and Hoffman didn't have very clean entries in the water, which they thought wasn't important, as it was a fancy diving competition. Hmm. So they had the fancier dives. Uh, they proposed having a dive-off to determine the true bronze medal winner, but Braunschweiger refused, and so Kehoe alone was awarded the medal. The German commissioner to the exposition, Dr. Theodore Lewald, Lewald who ha had donated a trophy to be awarded to the diving gold medalist, but he was so angry about the result that he took it back. Good for him. I have several questions about Storm this. Off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to wonder, given the history of explaining or not explaining certain rules to certain sports that this Olympics have had. Did they know, or should they have known, whether or not smooth entry was a parameter in the point system here? I don't think that convention had been established at uh -huh. this point. Because the Germans all just kind of belly flopped. Like, they would do all kinds of fancy flips, and then when they got to the water, they just flopped Oh, in. that sounds awful. Yeah. But it sounds, like it, so it sounds like it deserves a medal. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, but that just means, like, in terms of, that just seems like it would be really painful for them. They should really have these things written down, uh, yeah. I'm going to say in German, as I, well as whatever. I feel like you're asking for way, way too much. Like, just written down, start there. This is actually bringing up a question I have about the Buffalo German YMCA team. Did they know they were competing in the Olympics, or did they just show up and they just 
you know, fall so hard like they always do. Yeah, they do. just righteously <laughs> owned everyone around. That's just like, it's Tuesday. <laughs> We've come to kill you all again. <laughs> all right. Uh, James Sullivan made the extremely necessary... Oh, and on September 25th... When did this... Did I write down when this took place? This took place, I think, in July. Uh, on September 25th, James Sullivan made the extremely necessary and surprising motion of announcing the German protest had not been allowed, something that had been decided oh, uh, by the officials at the time of the actual competition two weeks earlier. <laughs> so, two weeks... I'm parsing that. Yeah, two weeks after this competition, after everything had been settled, James Sullivan decided to make the uh, extremely necessary uh, I see announcement that, yes. that their, their uh, protest had been not allowed. Fence? They laid it on a shirt. Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's that's fair. That's the, that's the rules now. Two weeks later, um, <clears throat> fencing had some relatively decent non-American participation as well. Of the eleven men competing, one Gustav Kasmir was from Germany, and two were from Cuba: Manuel Diaz and our buddy Ramon Ponce. Uh, remember hmm. him from Paris? He was now twenty years old. He was that sixteen-year-old who like Aww. beat everybody's butts. Just a baby. Yeah, now he's twenty. Uh, one curious absence from the Americans was that Charles Faulkner, the greatest American fencer of the era, who had already been national champion multiple times in foil, FA, and saber, just didn't show up at all. He may have been there a year earlier or <laughs> later, depending on... Yeah. Or when he may have had his identity stolen. <laughs> or he was one of the competitors. He was one of the other ones. But yeah. had stolen someone's he identity. He stole someone else's identity. To make it harder for himself. So All of these are shockingly plausible yeah. in this Olympics. <laughs> or he was actually Crash McCree. No, all no, along. I'm, I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> Just saying, it's possible that anyone is anyone. Everyone is actually the same person. They were all James Sullivan. <laughs> uh, if you saw pictures of James Sullivan, I have unlikely. seen pictures. I have seen pictures of him. Yes. <laughs> he look, kind of looks like. He looks like what you're expecting. He, he looks, looks like a PE coach. It looks like, like a PE like teacher. With, like, a mustache. Yeah. In Bachner's absence, uh, our buddy Fonst won three gold medals. Individual foil, uh, individual dueling swords, F.A., and team foil. For team foil, Fonst and Diaz were joined by American Albertson Van Post, so that it was a mixed team. They still did mixed teams at the time. <laughs> Diaz himself also won gold in individual saber. The only event that didn't have either Cuban winning a gold or medal at all was individual single sticks. Whereas Zoe Post won gold. I don't know what that is, though. I think it's literal. <laughs> Just sticks. Mm -hmm. Only one stick, though. You know, single Dual wheeled sticks. sticks. No, it's single sticks. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm getting too too free with the sticks. Okay, uh, the golf. Golf has a fun thing. Um, again, despite golf historians apparently believing that golf was never an Olympic sport, it was an event at the 1904 Olympics and the 1900 Olympics. Uh... Out of the 77 competitors, three were Canadian, so it was a very international affair. It was also a very complicated affair. There was an individual event and a team event. Incidentally, there was no women's tournament this time. It was replaced by the men's team competition. The team competition, held on September 17th, was played across 36 holes. Six 10-man teams registered, but only two showed up. So they managed to scrounge together a third team out of six of the golfers who were there for the individual competition. They can literally promise a bronze medal to anyone who wants to come <laughs> yes. and get on this team. Uh, yeah, so they got a third team together of a bunch of guys apparently who were like, oh, I'll get a bronze, uh, who were there for the individual competition, which was held from the 19th to the 24th, along with the other events that were not considered Olympic. The 30 golfers who competed in the team tournament were all Americans, so America swept that. 
The Western Golf Association took gold, Trans-Mississippi Golf Association silver, and the United States Golf Association bronze. Uh, USGA was a thrown-together-at-the-last-minute team. And that was a stroke game, just the team with the fewest total strokes needed to make it through the course. That sounds like a perfectly reasonable way to score golfing. What other system do we have? Yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's uh, golf. I think it, it can be like, remember we were talking about the points race with, with cycling, where it's like, if you win a lap, then you get a point. Uh, I think it you, can be like that. If you win a hole, you get a point. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It could be like that. That's not how golf works. Well, I mean, I... I this time, anything went. <laughs> yeah. Anything's possible, anything went. Hey, well, we're being told actual rules here, okay? <laughs> this is an incredible... This is very rare. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's take it. Let's, let's accept yeah, this. Yeah. Okay. The individual event was a match event. All players played 36 holes stroke play on September 19th to qualify for 32 positions in match play. Uh, play continued at match play with all matches being 36 holes. The way match play is scored, it's almost like I said, the points race in cycling. The golfer who wins the hole earns points, and at the end of the match, whoever has more points wins. So they don't count the individual strokes on each hole. I, I appreciate that I was immediately shown up with another <laughs> alternate set of golf rules after my previous comment. The pairs were all determined by their scores in the qualifying round where they played out a March Madness-style tournament for the rest of the week. Well, that was a big truck of they, they, won't, they won't know that. <laughs> uh, Canadian George Lyon came out on top, winning gold in pretty spectacular style. He was not favored to win. The favorite was American H. Chandler Egan, who had just won the American Amateur Championship the week before. Lyon, the Canadian, did not have good form. His swing was described as, quote, flat and ungainly. However, he was already an accomplished athlete, having been the top Canadian cricket batsman of the 1890s. The final day of competition, September 24th, was cold and gloomy, and it rained the entire day. Egan, had, the American, had the superior swing, but Lyon was the superior athlete, and in the bad conditions, that was what led to him to victory. Afterward, Egan went to bed because he was exhausted. The American came in second. Meanwhile, Lyon went to the awards dinner, and as part of the celebration, walked the entire length of the dining room on his hands. Another another great hero. There's a surprising amount of uh, really good rootable characters in this. Yeah, this like, yeah, this yeah. Is, I would watch this film. Yeah. I also I do appreciate like uh, the wind is strong, the rain is bad, uh, your form is useless, but you need to be able to hit this golf ball freaking <laughs> hard to the green. Yeah, that is how we're deciding this. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. So we have the Olympics. Gymnastics. Bring it. <laughs> world stage dude yeah yeah what are you doing here if you're not the best <laughs> so it's like a, in horse racing that some horses run better in mud yeah you know that seems sl sloppy fun. track yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway we're moving on to gymnastics which was a shit show <laughs> oh back in the yeah. bottom Aww. parts we were well, having, yeah. having a nice uh, time we were really there, enjoying there's some good. fun stories it's just the gymnastics event was like just run really weird. So, like, way. comedy of errors, yeah, not comedy yeah. of okay, racism. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We'll get back to that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, we'll get to the marathon. Well, uh, gymnastics was, once again, completely different from the previous Olympics. At, at this point, I don't know when they morphed into something close to what we see now. There were actually two gymnastics events, both recognized by the IOC as Olympic. And with good reason, the gymnastics competitions had more international participants than most sports. I think it was the most other than track. 
Well, it's also, I believe, the one where people would try to come and compete with countries they were at war with. Yeah. Like, there's a, a history, a legacy here, sort of, cross-national competition. Yeah, so the two events were the Turnverein gymnastic-style event and the Swedish gymnastic-style event, which were held months apart. The International Turners Championship, which was held July 1st and 2nd, was the Turnverein-style. Uh, though Turnverein gymnastics were popular in Germany and Eastern Europe and grew out of the Bohemian Sokol movement. It consisted of a combination of gymnastics and track and field events. Horizontal bar, parallel bars, side and long courses, 100-yard uh, run, shot put, and long jump. I think the side horse and long horse are the vault and pommel horses in this one. Um, medals were given out for the best teams and the best individual performances. Also, for the best performance of only the gymnastics events. Finally, they also held a, quote, triathlon of just the track and field events held on July 4th on the same field that would later be used for the track and field competitions. Most records list the triathlon to be a track and field event, not a gymnastics event. While this was a relatively international event, it's a bit murky as to what the nationality of a lot of the athletes actually was. Everybody who competed was either German or Scandinavian, and while there was, were American teams participating, a lot of them did not have their American citizenship yet. So it's pretty difficult to determine who was earning medals for what country. According to the IOC, because again, they didn't have the official like national Olympic teams at this point that we have now. Um, according to the IOC official records, there were seven German athletes, one Swiss, and 111 Americans. Bill Mellon also counts Austria, Austria, but that seems to be due to the sort of ambiguity over the nationality of Ju Julius Lenhart. Lenhart won gold in individual all-around. Wilhelm Weber of Germany took silver, and Adolf Spinier of Switzerland got the bronze. The Americans swept the combined event in the team event, and then for the triathlon, Spinner took gold, Lenhart silver, and Weber bronze. As for the other gymnastics competition held in October of 1904, there was not nearly as much international participation by IOC or Malin's Reckoning. Everybody who participated was American. The Swedish-style event was the AAU, uh, American Athletic uh, Union, Gymnastics Championship for 1904, and it did not include any track and field events. It was closer to what we would recognize as Olympic gymnastics. They competed in horizontal bar, parallel bars, pommel horse, rings, rope, climbing, vault, and club swinging. Uh, club swinging is juggling, so it's ah. like men's rhythmic gymnastics. I was going to say, we already covered golf. Yeah. <laughs> Americans swept all events as they were the only ones there. So this is the fun part. Uh, one interesting story out of this is that of George Iser. George Iser competed in both Olympic competitions. He scored extremely well on the gymnastics events, but finished dead last in the track and field events for the Turnverein. In the other competition, he won six medals, including three gold. The reason for this big disparity turns out to be that he was competing with a wooden leg. He had lost one of his legs as a child when he was run over by a train. Was... Oh! <laughs> yes. It was all his upper body strength that led him to win his medals. Uh, we have very good records of what happened at the Turnverein, as Lenhart kept copies of all the scores, and his, the guy won the individual all around, and his son donated them to Olympic historian Eric Camper. They're difficult to read, as it's all done in German black letter, but it's all there. There are almost no records surviving of the AAU championship other than who won these different events. So, so I mean, good on 
Good on him. It's a little unfortunate that they had coupled track and field into gymnastics for one of these competitions. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> a wooden leg. He was vaulting on a wooden leg. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. Out there crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and lacrosse. Lacrosse was one of the better organized events, though there were only three teams participating, one from the U.S. and the other two were from Canada. This seems to be a recurring... This may be the only sport so far where the U.S. is not overwhelmingly dominant in terms of a numbers game. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, the tournament was held July 5th and 7th, or 5th through 7th at the Olympic Stadium. The Winnipeg Shamrocks won gold, defeating the St. Louis AAA team 8-2. We are still guaranteed a medal, though. St. Louis won silver, and a team identified only as Mohawk Indians of Canada won bronze. For a long time, there was no record of the men who played for the Mohawk Indians of Canada, and for some reason, some records had them listed as Iroquois. Well, that's, uh... <clears throat> That would be like an Iroquois nation thing. Yeah, that yeah. seems optimistic. But sometime around when Bill Mallon was writing his book in like the 90s, a uh, roster was uncovered, and now we know the names of the men on the team. I'm going to list them because they're awesome. <laughs> okay. So uh, the Mohawk Indians of Canada, their lacrosse team, uh, the people participating were Black Hawk, Black Eagle, Almighty Voice, Flat Iron, Spotted Tail, Half Moon, Lightfoot, Snake Eater, Red Jacket, Nighthawk, Man Afraid Soap, and Rain in Face. Wait. Yes. <laughs> These athletes, by the way, were not part of the human zoo exhibits. Oh, I had forgotten about those. Yeah. Oh. Uh, note, this tournament took place on July oh, 2nd and 7th, which I think I... I Man listed. Afraid Soap seems a little out of place in that list. Yeah, I... I don't know how you get that name, but it seems like the short straw that he drew. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> seems like some, someone hated him. Was it his mother? Was it his friends? I don't know. Someone was mad. So maybe, I, maybe a mistranslation. I think I, I made a, an error just earlier. Just sharing the same mistranslation. But the, this tournament was held on July 2nd and 7th, and is unrelated to the St. Louis Bullfight Riot, which included a lacrosse demonstration. That took place on July 5th. Which Now, the, the implication of that roster, though, is that the players were Native American. Yeah, they were Mohawk. Which is actually and they, better than my original hypothesis, which is that it was sort of just like the, you know, like the hockey team Blackhawks, where they're just sort of really appropriating Yeah, No, no, name. they were they were actually Mohawk. Um, yeah, no, that rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... the how did they do? St. Louis... What? How did they... How they did got they bronze. Do? Okay. Um, well, that's like an Olympic medal. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then the St. Louis Bullfight Riot, they talk about that in the Golub episode about the Olymp the St. Louis Olympics, which I have it listed that which number that was at some point. I'll give you the episode number. Uh, Roke. Roke is a variant of croquet. They came up with the name by removing the C from the front and the T from the end. Bill Mallon contends that there is almost no justification for calling the 1904 Roke event an Olympic sport, but the IOC does anyway, so here's what happened. Four men, all American, competed in a double round-robin tournament, so they each played with each other twice. I'll list them in the order that they placed. Gold through fourth, Charles Jacobus, Smith Streeter, Charles Brown, and William Chalfant. 1904 was the only time Roke was an Olympic sport. That's all I got about that one. I have to really hope that in addition to removing some letters of croquet, they just removed 
some of the rules for cocaine, and then they did that in the game. They didn't tell anybody who was playing. Like, like let's say there are like five rules in cocaine. Like one of them is not a factor in this game. We're not going to tell you which yep. one. Yep. Now Just, you good now, luck. Now you are allowed to hit each other with the mallets. Is that actually a rule? I'm pretty sure is that's that a actually rule. a rule. I'm pretty sure you're I've not. been playing it cocaine. all wrong. Croquet is a gentleman's sport. <laughs> you know, in, in, in <laughs> Paris, most of my croquet knowledge is from The Shining. <laughs> you know, in Paris, they let women compete in croquet. All, all of my croquet knowledge is from Heather's. <laughs> now, was this um, officially officially banned? My mother, what shall I be? Sorry. They, women were officially banned from this sport as well, or just incentivized enough not to. I think they were officially it. banned. Um, rowing. Yeah. Don't we don't want to be handing women mallets? Who knows what they'll do? I mean, <laughs> so <clears throat> rowing. That would have been a great anecdote if we'd had that uh, <laughs> opportunity. But you see what happens when women play croquet? It's in the movie Heather's. <laughs> Chaos. What killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is a Heather's po fan podcast now. Yes, what we're wow, that, that took Surprise! a turn. <laughs> All right. It's been a backdoor. This has been a backdoor podcast <laughs> to get into our actual Heather's Review podcast where we watch Heather's every week. Yay! <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm still willing to be a recurring guest. <laughs> we'll just act it out. Like radio oh, yeah, it's, yeah, we're not we're not actually gonna watch it. We're just gonna pretend and we're just gonna redo it mm. for you. Fine. I love it. <laughs> so, we're going to go on to rowing. Uh, rowing at the 1904 Olympics was not nearly as exciting as it was in 1900, with all the children winning medals and people getting knocked into the water and rowers going off course and other nonsense on the Seine. Please tell me that they rowed on the completely flat, dusty Cinderella <laughs> track. <laughs> oh my god, please! No. they. Uh, the 1904 rowing events were held on July 29th and 30th at Crevecoeur Lake. While the event was open to foreign competitors, nearly everybody involved was American, except one coxed eight team, which is from Toronto, Canada. <laughs> oh, but what if what if they had like two guys pushing a boat around the dusty track? <laughs> they have water in St. Louis. Yeah, but like, what if they forgot? <laughs> it seems like something that might have happened. They these games. They didn't forget. And when we get to water polo, I'll explain why they should have had more. <laughs> oh no. Okay, I'm uh, intrigued. But, okay, so, um... Were they playing water polo in a bathtub? No. That's my guess. Uh, not exactly. <laughs> That's there, my official guess. There was supposed to be a great matchup for the single skull event between James Ten Eyck of America and Louis Scholes of Canada, but although both entered the race, neither actually showed up. Americans swept all the medals, except for Cox 8s, where Canada took silver. Bill Mellon also tells a story about how he went to Crevecore Lake in 1995 while he was participating in the filming of some TV show about the Olympics, uh, I think leading up to 96 Atlanta. Um, several St. Louis rowing clubs still practice there, or at least they did when this book was published, and when Mellon told one of the fishermen that it had been the site of the 1904 Olympic rowing competition, his, quote, his comment was one of incredulity. This place is just a mud hole. <laughs> Perhaps. For two days in 1904, it was a very famous mud hole. Beautiful. Yes. All of the races were over a one and a half mile course. Fours and eights just rode one and a half miles straight, while the pairs and single skulls rode three quarters of a mile and turned around. That's all I got about rowing. Soccer. There were three teams competing in the soccer competition in the 1904 Olympics. Two from St. Louis and one from Galt, Ontario. You mean football? No, this, this is soccer. There was football at the American football at this 
Oh, what American football. Yeah, remember that was what closed the games officially was mm. the Indian schools football match, uh, football game. So there were three teams competing. In the I South assumed that was soccer. No, that was American football. Okay, I've yeah. been misinterpreting yeah. when you say football. Uh, so Joseph P. Lydon is responsible for both St. Louis teams, Christian Brothers College and St. Rose Parish competing. Lydon had actually competed in the Olympic boxing competitions earlier in the year, trying for bronze, uh, tying for bronze in the welterweight division. I mean, as best we can tell from the names that we've been given. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, as far as we know, George Ly uh, the Lydon was... Joseph Lydon was, so I just used the wrong name. All right. Local AAU officials convinced him to form a soccer league for amateur players only, as all the existing St. Louis clubs were semi-professional. So he made a parish league of four teams, Christian Brothers College, St. Rose Parish, St. Anne's Parish, and St. Alphonsus Parish. Oh, so the top two of those qualified for the Olympics and they competed in November. And he started this... They say it, this was all in 1904. Like, he started these four teams and got two of them in the Olympics within a year. Look, that's efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> There's a pattern here. Everyone's very targeted at what they do. Unfortunately for these fledgling teams, they're up against a Canadian powerhouse. The Golf Football Club of Canada was the Canadian national champion. They shot out both American teams and won gold easily. The day after the gold medal match, Christian Brothers College and St. Rose Parish played for silver. Unfortunately, neither could score despite three overtimes, and eventually they had to postpone the rest of the game because the sun was setting and it was too dark to play. Mm. The match, the rest of the match, was held four days later, and Christian Brothers College won two to nothing. The reason for the long wait was because three days before that, they had a Parish League regular match to play, which they t played to a tie, but was unrelated to the Olympics. But also a tie. They, yes. As far as this effective scoring is concerned, it could have just been one continual <coughs> game. Swimming was the second most international event of the 1904 Olympics. Only track and field had more foreign competitors, which sounds really impressive, but how it worked in reality was that out of 32 swimmers competing, one was Australian, two were Hungarian, four were German, and 25 were American. The swimming events were held at the Life-Saving Exhibition Lake, which we'll talk about more when we get to the water polo event and that name becomes ironic. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. There were 12 events. 50-yard freestyle, 100-yard freestyle, 220-yard freestyle, 440-yard freestyle, 880-yard freestyle, 1-mile freestyle, 100-yard backstroke, 440-yard backstroke, freestyle relay, and plunge for distance. The lake was fed by a river, which had a slight current, but according to the competitors, it wasn't enough to cause any sort of interference in their performance, unlike the current-assisted times of Paris. Um, the Americans took home the most medals, with 19 total and 5 golds. Germany met 4 golds, Hungary 2, and Austri Aust Austria's sole competitor got a bronze. Do we have a, an explanation of puns for depth? I'm not sure that that's a term that's generally familiar. No, uh, well, I'll get to that. It, okay. it, we do have an explanation. Uh, the two Hungarian golds were due to Zoltan von Halme, who you may remember from the Paris Olympics. Halme won a decisive and uneventful 100-yard freestyle, but the 50-yard freestyle was much more fraught. He made it through the qualifying heats, the final race without incident, and faced off against five American swimmers, notably J. Scott Leary. It took three times to get a result. Just after the first attempt at a final race had finished, Leary lifted his arms and shouted foul. He alleged that Halme had pulled him back underwater in order to beat him to the finish line. 
But since Hao Mei was the greatest swimmer in the world at the time, nobody believed him and the claim was dismissed. However, none of the judges could agree on who actually won the race, so they had to have another. Which ended in a false start. Third race, penalty. Yeah. <laughs> Third race was a charm. Hao Mei, perhaps fueled by a desire to just get it over with already, launched out ahead so fast that Leary wasn't even close. Hao Mei won easily. Later, photographs taken of the first race made it clear that Hao Mei had, in fact, won the first race anyway. <laughs> Charles Daniels, not to be confused with Charlie Daniels, won silver in the 100-yard freestyle and gold in the 220-yard and 440-yard freestyle because Hao Mei decided not to swim those distances. The 180-yard and 1-mile freestyle both had... Three medalists from three different countries in each, although it was the same three swimmers both times just switching places around. Emil Rausch of Germany won gold in both, while Francis Gailey won silver in the 880-yard and bronze in the one-mile, and Halmey's countryman, Geza Kiss, vice versa. The 100-meter backstroke was swept by the Germans, and they were set to do the same with the 440-yard breaststroke as only Germans had were entered, but American Jam Jameson, uh, nicknamed Jam Handy, entered and managed to nab the bronze. Incidentally, Handy, born in 1886, was at the time of his death in 1983 the oldest living medalist of the 1904 Olympic Games. Hmm. I imagine that there may have been some external pressure not to allow a non-American country to position themselves to sweep that event. Uh, well, they did get the 100-meter backstroke. The Germans swept that. Uh. So Probably they wanted to limit that, though. <laughs> um... The relay is another that Bill Mallon insists should not be an Olympic event, but the IOC counts anyway. This has come up a number of times. There's yeah. a, a recurring disagreement yeah. between Mallon and the IOC. What is his argument for things being Olympic other than the IOC has said so? That they're not baby town frolics. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it comes down to um, whether or not foreign competitors were allowed. Um, a lot of the times there weren't any foreign competitors, and sometimes that was because they were actively discouraged, like we'll see with this. Ah. Um, other times, like the basketball event, I think was because it was only Americans, and only Americans would compete in that, no matter what, because nobody else played it at the time. Um, I mean, we did discuss that that was maybe a little suspect. Yeah. <laughs> this game we just invented is an Olympic sport now. Yeah. Um, the reason Mallon is so against this is one similar to what we'll see when we get to water polo. I feel like I'm building. No, up. you implied that water polo killed people. Yeah, yeah. like what? Yeah, no, we're on the edge. We are on the edge of our seats. We are off of our seats. Tell us about water polo. I can't. I gotta get through this. Oh my god! I'm building up. Powering through. Oh my god! I'm. There's not too much left. We're on I'm end. freaking out. We'll get to water polo and then we'll circle. <laughs> we'll get to water polo and then we'll circle back around the track and field and finish with that. Oh god. So, uh, the reason Malin is so against this one similar to what we'll get see when we get to water polo. The Americans all entered existing teams from various athletic clubs. The Germans wanted to enter a team of their four strongest swimmers and were denied entry, despite no rule existing that they all had to be from the same athletic club. Ah. Uh, there were no rules at these Olympics. <laughs> Did no one inform them? I understand the sentiment that we want to not count it as an Olympic sport because of shenanigans. But shenanigans is literally like 85% of the first at least three Olympic events. Yeah. And they still exist now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that there's much of a real grounding for I feel, like, I feel like we're still kind of doing shenanigans. Yeah, we are. 
Yeah. That's, that's and... what the Olympics are and have always been. Shenanigans. That, I mean, that is the thesis of this podcast. Yes. That and tethers. Yeah. <laughs> Chaos. That's the secret part of the podcast. what killed the dinosaurs. <laughs> You're going to keep bringing it up. She's going to keep doing that line. I'm going to get really excited. It's bad. Don't, don't do this to us. The Americans offered to make their own all-star team and hold a race with the German all-stars, but they refused. Americans swept the event. I just get, there's a lot of things where, like, they're, like, offering things to the Germans that are obviously insults and the Germans refusing. This, that comes up a lot. Uh, plunge for distance, if you asked about earlier, was a popular diving event at the time, although nobody does it anymore. The distance measured was the greatest length the competitor could achieve when not propelling himself at all after entering the water, and they would mark it by where the swimmer's face broke the water, or when the time limit of 60 seconds was up. Chris Pyra, the American record holder, had a dismal meet and finished dead last, almost three meters behind the fourth place finisher. Only Americans competed, competed, so they swept with William Dickey winning gold. So it's basically underwater long jump. Yeah. But you can't, like, kick your legs we don't do it anymore. Why? Because it's boring. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't sound fun. Yeah. We, we do we do out-of-water long jump into water off of a diving board. We still do that one. But you have to do it fancy. Yeah, you gotta enter the water right. <laughs> That's that written wasn't down a rule now. in 1904. It's we wrote it down in the intervening years. All right. So I'm, we're at teach. We're almost at water polo. All right. Oh, my God. Tennis. <laughs> what? <laughs> The water polo of land. There's, I said we're at T's. We're almost at water polo. Oh, this alphabet. We got a couple more. Yeah, it's alphabetical. Oh. You haven't noticed that yet? I did not. <laughs> tennis. There were no women's tennis events at the 1904 Olympics. Instead, there were two official... Track and field. We're getting back to that because it's so long. Blizzard. Oh. It was actually an A's for athletic, but I skipped it. And I'm going to finish she, with that. She's just going to tease These are all for under like... S for sports. That's yes. what I'm getting. Tennis. Yeah. There were no women's tennis events at the Olympics. Uh, 1904 Olympics. Instead, there were two official Olympic tennis events, men's singles and men's doubles. For some reason, the records for the tennis events are the most complicated out of the 1904 Olympics, and it's difficult to tell how, where, and why some of these events happened. All of the events, Olympic and otherwise, were happening simultaneously, and newspaper event accounts are not very clear about which one they're discussing. Some just list the events by number without any other indication of what they're talking about. One woman entered to compete in a tennis event. Miss Carrie M. Dawn, 1903 St. Louis School District Champion, entered the Interscholastic Championship. However, at game time, neither she nor the young man she was to compete against, Effie Sheldon, showed up. Dr. Hugo Hardy of Berlin was the only foreign athlete to actually compete in the 1904 Olympic tennis competition, and he did not place. The Americans swept to medals. The Japanese tennis champion, Shunzo Takaki, entered a tennis event at the exhibition, but he competed in the Missouri State Championships instead of the Olympic event for some reason, probably because nobody explained to him what he was what he was supposed to be doing. A recurring theme. Yes. One enduring thing emerged from all the confusion. Dwight Davis, a St. Louis politician who would later go on to be the United States Secretary of War, won the singles championship in the Louisiana Purchase event. He donated a cup as an international team trophy that is now called the Davis Cup. People still compete for it. Hmm. Tug of war. Again, a thing I think we should still have. Yeah, I think I, I also vote to bring it back. Right. Tug of war was close to the track and field competition, which is why a team from Greece and South Africa competed. Four teams from the U.S. competed as well, and they swept. 
The dominating team was the Milwaukee Athletic Club, which was made up of five men from Chicago. Somehow, the Milwaukee Athletic Club convinced them to compete for them so they could get more team points. The New York Athletic <laughs> the New York Athletic Club withdrew after Milwaukee beat them, and so the St. Louis team they were supposed to compete in the second round got a bye. This also meant that New York officially finished fourth out of six, which earned them a point in the team race. Chicago tried to protest to get that point removed, but were denied. Water polo. Oh my god. Are, is this for real, or is this at, another... This isn't a tease. We're actually at water polo. I don't believe you. And I'm waiting for, for um, Frank to Don't back. pull back the curtain. <laughs> He's just getting some alternate water. All right, so water, water polo. Water that makes it sound so much worse. <laughs> water of the past. All right. Uh, water polo. According to Bill Mallon, quote, there is no justification whatsoever for calling this sport an Olympic one in 1904, but again, the IOC does, so we'll talk about it. Three teams competed, All-American and notably all from the same club, as in the New York Athletic Club, the Chicago Athletic Association, and the Missouri Athletic Club. So each of these organizations entered a team. They weren't all from... No, I see. So three U.S. athletic clubs each fielded a team. Yes. It's freaking inter-varsity again. Yeah. And again, it's the same thing as as the relay we talked about with swimming. This is significant because a fourth team tried to enter, a German team, but they were turned down because they were from different clubs. Those Germans like to swim. Yeah. And they also like to compete, but we're not going to let them. Yeah. (laughs) Screw them, I guess. Oh, again. I feel like the Germans have been, like, the most gung-ho about the Olympics, and they haven't gotten to host it yet. And, like, we don't even really seem to want it. And I think, no, we really, like, St. Louis... Stole it from Chicago. Well, they're not doing anything with it. It was France. We're sweeping the medals. Oh we're doing with it. Twelve people are participating. I don't know. I don't think Germany actually hosted until 1936. Oh God. Oh. They were supposed to host earlier than oh. that, but then World War One happened, and and the Olympics were ca- canceled for a while. Well. And so. <laughs> we'll get to that. Oh boy. Oh. Oh Again. boy. Oh man. Yes. Foreshadowing. Again, there was no rule in the books that said all members of the team had to be from the same club. So the Americans swept. There were books? Yes. There I were. wasn't really pressing none of the street, though. <laughs> so the Americans swept with the New York Athletic Club taking gold. It was good for the Germans that they weren't able to compete because there was also a pretty unfortunate result from this water polo event. It was held in a life-saving exhibition lake, like I said, which was an artificial lake dug for the exhibition and most famously used for the life-saving exhibition. The unfortunate part is that it was also used for some of the agricultural exhibits, and some of the livestock would drink from it and occasionally wander into it. Uh, and this resulted... Why was it called the life-saving? They, they built it and used it for a life-saving exhibition, as in lifesavers, as in lifeguards, as in oh, water yeah. rescue. Okay, got it. Yeah. was very confused. And also when you said that, I first thought the candy. So that's where I am, emotionally, <laughs> spiritually... Physically. And mentally tonight. I'm, I'm all here. It's all firing on all cylinders. So, yeah, but there were also, like, cows that would hang out and drink from it. This sounds fine. I don't, I don't understand. thinking of the ways this might go wrong. Were the cows, were the cows participating in no. water polo? No, but, you know, because they were wandering in and out of the water, this resulted in four of the water poloists dying of typhus by July of 1905. Jesus. Four? Four of them, yeah. I think there were four men teams. It was, they were, yeah, I think. I don't know how many were on the 
teams, but there was a lot. Out of three teams, I, four died. I feel like four within four the year. people died at that's the Olympics. Third, that's, that's a third of the entire competitive body. Well, I don't know how, how big the teams were. Oh, oh, I see. But there were at least, I mean, I guess like one from each team and two from one. Like, how there many, were a lot. Like, how, that's a lot. How many people have ever died at the Olympics? That seems like a lot. Well, there was that bombing. The, nobody died in that bombing. Oh. Great. There was Munich. Uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> sorry. The point is, this is very sad. Yeah. Oh, so, well. So, moving on to weightlifting. That was, a, that was kind of a buzzkill, man. I we, told you. You I built was, it up. We I were so I don't excited. know that I'd agree that she built it up. I think she heavily implied someone was murdered. <laughs> I, yeah, I was like, I what was happened? Someone got stabbed? No, I was... No one got stabbed? No one got stabbed. They died everyone of died, within the year. Everyone died of preventable diseases. Anyway. This podcast continues to be pressured. 1900s. <laughs> We're talking about weightlifting, which again was completely different from Paris, and which was completely different from Athens. And uh, again, disappointingly, our hunky Scott Lonston Ellis was not around, <laughs> so he did not compete in the weightlifting competition. There were five competitors, and oh wait, no, they didn't have weightlifting in, in Paris. That's why, because Ellis competed in like gymnastics or something. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the French would be into that. Anyway, there were five competitors in total, one Greek and four Americans. There were two events, a two-handed lift of unlimited style and an all-around dumbbell contest. Pericles Kakousis, the, the one Greek, uh, won the two-handed lift competition when he lifted 245.25 pounds, or 111.7 kilograms. Oscar Ostoff and Frank Kungler of America came in second and third, re respectively. The dumbbell contest is insane. <laughs> Essentially, a weightlifting decathlon in which nine different dumbbell movements were contested with a tenth section for optional feats. The events were as follows. One, I, I'm going to like act these out, which unfortunately will only be of benefit to I would, people. I would describe them as you do. All right. All right. Hold one dumb dumbbell in each hand at arm's length. Start with arms straight up above head and lowered to be straight out at the shoulder. I feel the title adequately describes the thing you just okay. did. Curling dumbbell in one hand. Curling one dumbbell in each hand at the same time. Tossing up one dumbbell from the ground to the shoulder with one hand. No, that one is a little bit unclear. Yeah, tossing? I guess just like yanking it real quick. Yeah. I don't know if you're supposed to let go or not, but it has to get the shoulder height. I feel like that implies that you let go, but like it sounds like it's just a power clean. Yeah, I think. Where you do not let go. Yeah. Tossing one dumbbell in one hand from the ground to arm's length above the shoulders in one motion without stopping at the shoulder. So you must just, because you're not going to let go when it's above your shoulder. It'll hit you right in the I head. mean, <laughs> ideally. <laughs> um, so I think that's another like jerk. Motion. I, yeah. yeah, I feel like tossing is the wrong word. Uh, this is what well, I, I, mean, I know. It's their yeah. word. It's not your word. It's their yeah. word. But they are they're making. They're not when they do write down instructions. It seems they seem to do so in an unclear manner. So maybe. All right, pushing up slowly one dumbbell with one hand from the shoulder to arm's length above the shoulder. Jerking up one dumbbell with one hand from the shoulder to arm's length above the shoulder. So like one slow, one fast. Pushing up slowly one dumbbell in each hand from the shoulder to arm's length above the shoulder. So you just do the same thing mm -hmm, with two hands mm -hmm, or, or eight hands. When nine. you do the one-handed, do you get to choose which hand? I guess. I mean, it doesn't specify. So you can choose your hand as long as the hand is from the same athletic club. As <laughs> yeah. And then the tenth event was 
original feats at the option of the contestant. When it got down to it, the gold medal was decided by the last two competitors doing a various push-ups to earn points. First place in each category earned five points, second place earned three points, and third place one point. In section 10, the judges and referee had the power to award whatever points they wanted, though the total number of points awarded couldn't exceed 25 total. Americans swept the event, I don't, uh, and the one competitor from another event was, was the, uh, no, no, oh, he was in the, the, yeah, this is the one-handed. There weren't, I don't know if any other country even competed in the one-handed event. Or, Oscar Ostoff won gold with 48 points, Frederick Winter Silver with 45, and Frank Kungler with 10. Uh, wrestling. Very little note about the wrestling competition. <coughs> the rules allowed for foreign competitors, but as the comp competition was held on October 14th through 15th, and all the Europeans had gone home, all the competitors were Americans. There were no more than 10 competing in any of the weight classes Americans swept. There were a few returning champions who defended their titles. Robert Curry won the national championship in the 105-pound weight class and won gold at the Olympics. George Maynard, competing at 115 pounds, won his third consecutive championship. And Isidore Jack Niplot won his fourth consecutive championship at 125 pounds. Yeah, the takeaway there seemed to just be that if you are hosting the Olympics, you can wait for everyone else to go home and then keep having events. Yeah. Yeah, pretty it's much. It's really smart. It's... It's effective. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to work. That's a good plan. This is why we now have them over two weeks mm -hmm. instead of like half a year. And that's all the time we have for today. Next time we'll finish up with the track and field events from the 1904 St. Louis Olympics, including the infamous marathon. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. And find us on Twitter at OlympicSizedCast or email us at OlympicSizedPodcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback. Thanks.